This week on the Sport Blokes. On this Blokes Banter special, how do we feel about the Adam Sandler LeBron James movie Hustle? We finally look at the NBA at 75 European team and what sporting events are we gutted that we missed? Part one of that one. Let's go. So, Stewie, as I mentioned recently, I'll be off to Melbourne soon. So we've recorded one already this evening. This is our second one, Blokes Banter 4. You're in Melbourne right now, aren't you? Well, at time of release, I probably am. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How you enjoying it? Uh, I'm going to assume the weather's shit. A bit cold, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not that it's been great here in Perth. Say hi to your brother for me. The most rainfall in my life in Perth. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I actually checked. Mm. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. I've been saying it all the time. That's like, just a general statement. No, no, I've been saying, oh, this has been the worst winter in Perth in my entire life. And I thought, oh, I should actually verify if this is true. Yeah, and right, sure enough, I yeah. checked the rainfall of every year since 1983. Feels it. Just giving away my age. Mm. I think we've given our weight. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. Yes, we're old. <laughs> But anyway, here we are. So nearly a full year, actually slightly over a full year since we released our last Blokes Banter episode. We're just going to chew the fat on a few different topics, aren't we, today? Yeah, we've got a few. Hopefully little, we have a bit of fun with it. A few little bits and pieces yeah. to talk about today. It could be enjoyable. And if not, sorry. Yeah, we do. No, we, yeah. we want these things to be enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do. <laughs> so first off, we thought we'd kick off with Hustle. So I know you watched it a little while ago and I've kind of sat on it for a while. So I thought no better time to watch it than last night, knowing we were getting together today, so we can talk about it. So I'll throw it to you first. You saw it first, and then I've seen it more recently, so I'll, I guess I'll reflect on your notes. I have to say, moderately unpopular opinion, I wasn't that impressed with it, to be honest. I found the hype that surrounded it, because obviously LeBron James was involved with it, right. Adam Sandler's involved with it. Right. There was so much hype. It was built up to be this like generational movie. Hype can ruin movies and TV shows, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I, I just, I don't think that it lived up to that. There were things that I loved about it, don't get me wrong, and I'll, I'll run through those, but I don't know. I just kind of felt like overall. I'm going to be honest, I, I missed some of the hype. So I haven't heard a lot said about this, and look, chances are I'll say everything I say today about this has been said before, but I haven't actually done my research other than watch the film. So was there a lot, because I don't, I haven't listened to The Mismatch in like a year and... I, I don't know. I tend to listen to like PTI and I watch First Take and mm. I don't listen to a lot of basketball podcasts. So I, I listen to to Zach Lowe is the one I listen to, but he is very, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? It's so it's more, I don't know. There was just a lot of stuff on Twitter, people sort of talking about it being this ridiculously amazing film. Right. And I just, I don't know. I just don't feel like it was that. Like, okay, let's, let's run, Make through, your case. Yeah, let's yeah. run through some of the things that I did like, first of all. Yep. Okay, I loved Anthony Edwards as the antagonist. Oh, yes. He was a spectacular villain. He played his role perfectly. He really did. Interesting to see him in the role of a villain as yep, well. Yeah, he was a natural. He was fantastic. So someone is that maybe a sign of things to come. Yeah, oh, definitely. Third season in Minnesota. They've got Rudy Gobert. That could be a really interesting lineup. Yeah, maybe. Well, he's got a life after basketball. Yeah, he, he, he could he act. Does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he excellent. He, he, was, he was definitely one of the shining lights. Played definitely. that really well. Definitely. I love the fact that they actually used real basketball players in this one. Yeah, well, I, one of the immediate thoughts that came to me maybe half an hour in is like, this is the death of non-athletes performing in sport movies because they're already getting their own podcasts. They're already, you know what I mean? Like, and, and, and it does make it more realistic and it makes it better when they can actually play, doesn't it? You just show me the funniest clip. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> so it's like... Utterly reprehensible one-on-one scene between Halle Berry and Benjamin Brighton in Catwoman. 
Like they can barely dribble. They yeah. basically end up stopping just short of fucking after she <laughs> she dunks on him from the three point line. Basically, like a foot in. It's yeah. like the Jordan like slight like, slight foot over the line. Would but... you even call it a dunk? Like the ball? No, was... it was one of what, alien dunk the or ghost just, dunk yeah, or whatever like, they call. A thrunk or something. Yeah, yeah like oh. <laughs> And then it's like hundreds of 12 and 13 year old kids watching them and cheering. Oh, like, and you almost get motion sickness from the editing and stuff, but they have yeah. to do that editing because the actors clearly can't play. That, that was worse than what Will Smith did to Chris Rock, <laughs> frankly. Like, that was a greater crime against against acting, honestly. Absolutely disgraceful. You also had Zach Efron in 17 again. That was a pretty uh, pretty average effort. There's, right. There's, well, I remember back in the day a friend saying, oh, there's this new show called One Tree Hill. And Keep in mind, at the time, we were about 20 when it came out, I think. Like, oh, you might be interested in it. It's centred around basketball. And I watched, like, five minutes. I'm like, mate. No. They can't even... They don't even know what foot to leave on a layup. Like, it's... No, I'm not watching it. There was also the end to the basketball scene in American History X. Oh, wow. It's been a long time since I saw that movie. Yeah, there's a... a, a five-on-five game going on, and, and Edward Norton's character basically comes in to finish things off. Right. And, uh, yeah, basically he gets a breakaway and you can see him dribbling and it looks like... A, An extra then played by a seven-foot... Yeah, like um, a baby giraffe trying to walk, basically. <laughs> oh, okay. And right. then he goes up for this massive two-hand reverse dunk and it's right. just, yeah, it's yeah, horrible. Right, so right. Th- there's a few of those in there. Wow, man, I don't even remember that thing. There you go. It's probably not the thing you think of no, well, when you no, think no. of him in American History yeah, X. I yeah, mean, it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's a... a, it's a Fairly, brutal film fairly yeah. provocative yeah, in a number yeah, of ways yeah but uh you yeah, look i mean lebron james is involved with this obviously he's got the pull to be able to bring in guys like kenny smith and dr j and trey young and all of these other guys that matisse liable matisse liable Ly- yeah. there's a big 76ers influence obviously because it's set in philadelphia yeah yeah so and that- we, we won't give spoilers because it hasn't been out a hell of a long time i'm happy to give spoilers on teen wolf <laughs> but i'm not giving spoilers <laughs> It, it, it hasn't been out a hell of a long time, so we won't give away the end. That, but that, that is yeah, fair. That is yeah. fair. So, how, how weird is it seeing... So there's that scene where there's Dr. J playing himself and Kenny Smith playing a, a character, and it's really weird seeing Sandler's character talk to Dr. J and then, oh, hey, Leon. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. It, He's it, Leon. He's not Kenny. Yeah. And then they have the TNT scene where they have Shaq and Ernie and, and, and Charles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where's Leon? Yeah, it is interesting that they've got such a mix of guys playing themselves and guys playing Yeah, characters. yeah, yeah. You've, got to, you've got to kind of work out the lay of the land in the, the introductory scenes. You do. But as I said, in this movie, it is great that the basketball scenes are, are fantastic because it is guys that clearly know what they're doing. Yes. You don't have to worry about stunt doubles because they're all doing yes, what they absolutely, do, yeah, yeah which, yeah, which is brilliant. Yep. Third thing, I loved Adam Sandler's character. In yes. This. People who know me know I'm not a huge fan of him outside of Happy Gilmore, eh, to a lesser extent. Like Big Daddy's a good Big, movie. Oh yeah, really? I really like matters. Me. Like they're all eh for me. I don't really enjoy that. Well, Big Daddy's not as silly. Like I understand Billy Madison's really silly. Yeah, so the, if you don't like the silliness, then. Yeah. Which is funny because the silliness is what I enjoy in other happy, shows. Happy yeah. Gilmore is and in other shows. The, yeah. the quiz at the end is pretty funny. Like my wife the whore for a thousand or whatever it is. Oh God, I don't you remember don't remember that? that? No, oh, okay. I don't, yeah. I don't. But you know, it, it he's showing so much of the evolution of his his acting abilities. You know, he was excellent in that. There was still a bit of slapstick, but it was all the sort of humor that you would see at home in a home. And program. that's what I love about it, because he has that natural slant towards comedic acting. 
life has has comments and and discussions and has it has moments of levity it does and he was perfect for that yeah no i really loved the the natural it was it was it wasn't forced yeah the natural humor was really good queen latifah was excellent too. Yeah, and the girl that played his daughter was excellent i thought did you read why queen latifah was in there no i did not it's actually paying homage to the like philadelphia being such a multicultural and there's a lot of mixed marriage and mixed ah, okay there, yeah so yeah yeah they they thought that it would be interesting to have an African-American wife and Adam Sandler actually had Queen Latifah in mind right from the start. Okay, cool. So really cool. Yeah, as I say, I hadn't really read any reviews. I've only seen the movie. I haven't heard or read a lot about mm. it. So again, I apologise if I say things that have been said and I'm sure I will. And and look, we talked about it very briefly with Robbie and Woody on the chat, kind of having said that I hadn't seen it yet, but we talked about Kenny Smith as the actor rather than as the player yeah. and Boban, how good's Boban? Boban, yeah, he's great. That scene's classic. It's like, uh, yes, how old are you? Oh, I'm 22. 22. Oh, this <laughs> is my 10-year-old son. He's seven foot and has facial hair. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> like 28 already. Yeah, it's, uh, oh, it's great. Oh, Boban, I love Boban. It is great. Um, The other thing I loved as well, how much it felt like a real story. Like yep. it's not, it's based loosely, I guess, on some of the, the players that have come across from Europe. But like the way that Juancho Hernan Gomez acts, he, he really does. He makes it feel like it's even based on his story. Oh, he's excellent. Excellent. Yep. And and apparently his, his, his original audition wasn't amazing. Right. Like he sent in a little audition tape and it was a little bit meh, you know, him, him and his brother kind of doing. Who also thing. appears in the film. Yes. It, not much, but. Briefly. But apparently the, the the first time they got him in, he was over the top spectacular. Right. So they knew straight away they yeah, had their guy. Okay, there you they, go. they weren't going to make it unless they had the guy, like right, someone right, who right. just fit the role perfectly. And, yeah. And yeah, they came up with this really believable backstory, which I thought was great. I, I just, I love that. So there's a lot of stuff that's, that's really great about it. I don't know, anything else that you maybe want to discuss? Well, about? one of the things I really loved is that it glorified defense. Yeah, yeah. There's lots of shot blocking. Yes. There's lots of like manning up a guy from the half court line. That, that trying to dunk on him. Yeah, or, yeah. Or like try and score on him and you'll get 50 bucks. Yeah, yeah. Hit, yeah. hit the yeah. ring and you'll get a like, Yeah, that's fantastic. I do like that. Yeah, yeah. So I, I really like that. And and you, you, the interactions between him and Kermit, the um the Anthony Edwards character yep. is really good. And yeah, so I really love that it glorified D. I, th- I thought that it gave, I, I think it's a purist movie. But I think what I, what I like about it is, I don't think you need to be a purist to enjoy it. So I think my girlfriend would enjoy that film. Now, she enjoys watching basketball every now and then, but she's not all that interested in the draft or the combine or whatnot. But the way it's presented, it's it's anyone can watch it, I think. It's accessible. But by the same token, if you are a mega fan, seeing the drills, seeing some of the combine-y kind of yeah, stuff, that's, that's I thought it was a really good insight. Yeah. I really liked that, yeah. Yeah. So I guess the, the the counterpoint in terms of what I didn't enjoy about it, it's one simple thing. I just feel like the plot was so cookie cutter. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Guy is having trouble, needs to find great player, finds great player in random spot. Great player has something stopping them from going to America. Guy helps them get past that. Okay, what was that I said about no spoilers? Tough, no, no, that's tough, right. Tough shit. <laughs> great, great player has struggles, overcomes those struggles thanks to Guy, Great player succeeds in America. It's basically a fancier version of the air up there. 
Well, I was going to say, I wish I had a chance to see the air up there again, because I'd love to compare notes and I'd love to to see it because I haven't watched the air up there since I was a kid. It's, so it's basically a European, yeah, yeah. European version of that. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes. It's a little bit more fancy in terms of the fact they're using real players and stuff. Oh, it's way more fancy in that sense. Yeah. But the plot in itself is the air up there. It's the exact same thing. Right. And that's to me why it kind of didn't resonate with me because it just feels like it's been done before. And by the way, that's not totally spoilery. There's enough that we haven't said that you can still watch and there'll still be a few surprises and yeah, stuff. I so. mean, what, what are you expecting? Well, so so this is the thing. I agree with you. It's very, very formulaic, incredibly formulaic, and it's full of tropes. It's got tropes coming out of its arsehole. What's a trope, Nathan? So look, I don't I mean, know- I mean, I totally know, but like... <laughs> Well, maybe do you want to look it up now while I kind of give what I my understanding of of the phrase? It's it's basically a almost something that's like a generic plot device. It's almost like a cliche plot device, a motif, so, if you will. Yeah. So so for example, the really arrogant asshole son who becomes the team owner after his dad dies. Now that's not a spoiler because his dad dies in the first ten minutes or something. So you've got the definition there. Yeah, a, a figurative or metaphorical use of a word or expression or a significant or recurrent theme. I think that's probably more... Yeah, so yeah, when you talk about it in terms of film or, or narrative, it's kind of a, well, yeah, like I say, in, to me it's like a generic or kind of cliche plot device. Yeah. Which is okay in a sense, like, and it's got the sport montage and it's got the, yes. the training and I won't go... Some of the training stuff's really cool. I won't say anymore. It's like almost Rocky Balboa. Well, stuff. yeah. Well, it's in Philly. So there are references. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So and there's some intentionality there, I think, yeah. given it's filmed in Philly. But I, I think a film can be formulaic and can be full of tropes and still be good. And the way that that is... So, so yes, it is a fairly predictable storyline. Not entirely, but... You can still be a successful and good movie if you have good actors, good characters, good entertaining scenes and and a bit of levity, a bit of emotion. So, look, I quite liked it. Is it my favourite sport movie of all time? No, but I've seen a lot worse. Not top 10 for me. Yeah, top 10, okay. Well, probably would. I don't know. I'd have to really give it a good thought and I'd probably have to go back and watch some. I don't watch a lot of sport movies these days. No, that's fair enough. I mean, you got, you got there's a, enough narrative in real life sport for me, but there's a I mean, there's a bunch you can well like he got games better. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Co- Coach Carter, which you need to watch, is better. Yeah, yeah, no, I haven't got there yet either. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Hoosiers, I thought was was brilliant. I don't know if it still translates nowadays. There's there's a whole bunch of them. I really love Blue Chips as a kid. I need to rewatch yeah. it. I don't know if it stands up, but I I just love Nick Nolte in that Celtic Pride. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Wayne's brothers are so fucking overrated. Airbud. Oh well, Airbud. And That's so on and so forth. One. Yeah. yeah. So look, I, I agree with you entirely though. I think what what you were saying about it can be formulaic as long as it's entertaining. Yeah. That's, and if it's got good characters and yeah, yeah I think, good acting. I think that's why I liked it, but I didn't love it. Yeah. Yeah. I I didn't turn it off going, oh well, that was a piece of shit. Like it was I enjoyed it, but I got to the end and I was like, eh. Okay. It's probably a solid three and a half stars out of five. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably say three. Okay. So it's not like it's not horrible. I feel but... like David and Margaret at the moment from the old SBS movie show. You can be Margaret. I'd say that as he's taking a sip of. Is that because of the floral dress? Uh, yeah, well, yeah. you, you do like your floral dresses. I, I don't mind at all, Pat. Yeah. It's all about the breeze. Purely a comfort thing. You'd have to think there might be more to come. Yeah. By this production company, or these Happy Madison and, and LeBron James, there could be another collaboration, and I'd happily watch 
I look forward to yeah. And I think it's great for the younger generations and th there's a lot of good to come out of this, yeah. Well, yeah, if it introduces people to the likes of Julia Serving, even Kenny Smith. You know, Smith had a, a really solid career, two-time NBA. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Or Anthony Edwards, for that matter. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, Herman Gomez is kind of on the fringe of the NBA, unfortunately. But sticking with basketball, we haven't really talked about the NBA at 75 European team. I think we've acknowledged it and said maybe we'd mention it in another time. Now is the time. Yeah, it came out a while ago. We finally got a couple of minutes to yeah, talk about it. Yeah, well, that's it. We always go overboard with time. So now that we're doing a standalone just chat, this is this is the time. So let's run through the teams then, shall we? So the first team, we've got Tony Parker, Luka Doncic, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Dirk Nowitzki, and Pau Gasol. Second team, Drazen Petrovic, Peja Stojakovic, Tony Kukoc, Nikola Jokic, and Arvidas Sabonis. Initial thoughts? I think you can make a strong case for Jokic over Gasol, given the MVPs mm -hmm. already. That's probably my major thing that sticks out to me. But why, why European? Why didn't they do three world teams, for example? That way you have the likes of Steve Nash, Hakeem Olajuwon, Dikembe Mutombo. Like, I don't know why they had to... Oh, well, Manu Ginobili. And the funny thing was all these people were like, oh, where's Manu? Where's yeah. Manu? Like, yeah, he played in Italy, but he's from Argentina. He won a goddamn gold medal with Argentina. Exactly. Like, tell me you're a casual fan without telling me you're a casual fan. Yes. Where's Manu Ginobili? I, so, yeah, that was my issue. You, or you probably could have even had four all-world teams rather than two European teams. I think the reason they did that is because if you look at the percentage of NBA players that are from overseas, the vast majority of them are from Europe. Obviously, there's a few coming through from Australia. There's a few from South America. There's not much in the way of Asia, really. Asia doesn't really produce too many no. top-level NBA but yeah, players. But Yao Ming... Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, like, so, so you've already... And look, it'll be a team full of centres. That's it. Yeah, but I mean, like Olajuwon, Ming... Yeah, well, but again, though, if you don't do European, if you do world, then oh, yeah. you're dispersing the centres yeah. amongst the full pool. Of course. And it becomes a lot harder then as well. Right? Yeah, I, that, that's my major criticism, actually, is that I wish it had been worlds. Yeah. Oh, fair. Well, I mean, that could be something we look at as well. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. What's our, our world at 75 time? Oh, golly, we haven't done our research on that one. What's our Liberian NBA at 75 team? Uh, no one. No one. No yes. one. Absolutely none. <laughs> we'll get to like Allah Abdul Nabi with Egypt. <laughs> Woo! You've been playing World all lately, have you, Stuart? No, no. I haven't, I haven't either, eh? We haven't played either for ages. I have not played an Erdl of, yeah, any, of any sort yeah. in probably two months now. Yeah, it'd be going on that for us. I got a month over, and a half. Got over it so quickly. Yeah, really that's not, it's not necessarily that we're over it. It's just that we just keep forgetting. Oh, no. Because me and my girlfriend like to play together. Yeah. My, my wife but, always talks about it. I'm like, eh, not, yeah. not interested. I'm just disappointed because there was apparently there was one day where the wordle was really hard and everyone was like, no one's getting that today. And I'm like, damn, I wish I knew what it was. Because mm. I remember people said that when bloke was the word, oh, yeah. which of course we got, but yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> it's still in our Twitter. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So good. I know on one of the previous shows that we did, I did say that I'm not a big fan of talking about snubs. I'd rather celebrate people that are in here, but kind of feel like you and I are a little bit more qualified to talk about this one. I've got three snubs that I think are potential for, for this team. So the, probably the biggest issue I have with the second team is Arvita Sabonis. Yeah, I was going to say he had an incredible international career and... Highlights of him when he was young and, and dare I say, a bit more in shape than when he played for Portland. Hey, round is a shape. Oh, it's it's it, well, it's, it's the shape I am. Yes. Like, I'm really, it's sad that he didn't come to the league earlier because he was an astonishingly good player. But did he have the NBA career that 
justified a seat. I know who you're going to mention too. Well, I've got two guys actually. Yeah, yeah. You got the other Gasol brother. Oh yeah, sorry, I was thinking of Dvac. Yeah, Vlad, yeah. Vlad yeah. was the other guy. Yeah. So yeah, I I entirely agree with what you're saying. It for me, it's the longevity side of things. Yeah. Seven years, yes, okay. He was he was pretty good, but he was in Lithuania and Spain until 1995 after being drafted like seven years earlier. Solid 12-7 and a block a game for his what seven years. Yeah, okay, that's better than I remember. It's it's good, but he was boy, he could pass the ball too. Yeah, those around the back passes and stuff out of bloody good. Oh, so good. But he was already 31 when he came across, and and that's the issue I have. Vladi, if you look at him, 11 and 8 with 1.4 blocks, 1.1 steals a game over 16 seasons. Yeah, yeah. All-star nod. He was in the playoffs all but two seasons in his entire career, and one of those was the last season where he retired. Yep. On some very good Sacramento Kings teams back in the day. Some very good Kings teams, some some adequate, okay, Lakers, adequate teams. Lakers and Charlotte teams. Yeah, yep. So like, he did have some good moments there. And then you look at someone like Marcus Sol, three-time All-Star, 2015 All-NBA first team, 2013 Defensive Player of the Year. Amazingly, only All-Defensive second team that year, though. Yeah, How right. How does that work? <laughs> no idea. Those anomalies happen from time to time. Yeah. 2019 yeah. champion with the Raptors, arguably the best player on that grit and grind Grizzlies team for a, a few years. Uh, for me, you yeah, compare, yeah. Yeah, you compare what Marcus Sol and Vladi Debark did to Sabonis. I'm not even sure Sabonis makes a third team. Again, they should have done maybe four all-world teams, I think. Potentially, yeah. And then then all these guys make it. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of the first issue. The other one I have is kind of in the same vein, and that's Tony Kukoc. Yeah, Detlef Schrempf. Yeah. It's, it was between those two. Yeah. Maybe maybe it's the championship nods, but... But that's Pippen and Jordan. That's not... Kuk- well, he contributed, but he, he was an important piece. He, he but was. yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? So let's let's look at this. Shrimp, three-time All-Star, really key member of some of those great Seattle and Indiana teams, 14 and 6 over a 15-year career. Kukoc was 11-4 and 4 in his 13 years. Yeah, okay. So the numbers are a little bit better. Detlef had better percentages from 2, 3, and the free throw line across his career and pretty comfortably. Kukoc missed a ton of games when he left Chicago. He had a really good year and a half. After Jordan and Pippen Yeah, left. we talked about that in our draft show, 1990 draft show. Yeah, it was right. interesting. Their second best player was Brent Barry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that doesn't really say that much. He had a really good short stint with Atlanta. He averaged like 26 and 6, but he played 17 games with them and they were shit. Mm. So, yeah. like And look, Shrimp didn't play in a championship team, but he played against the championship team on those 96 Seattle Supersonics. Yep. So... I, for me, like... Kukoc, yes, flashier, has the championship rings. But for me, Schrempf was the better player. Yeah, I think you make a strong case. And I think they're doing the same thing as they did with Sabonis, where they're lumping in the European career with... Lifetime achievement, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is not what this is about. Yeah, yeah. Well, and international career too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. By the way, speaking of Seattle, did that Holmgren injury happen at a Seattle Pro-Am? Ironically, yes. Oh, wow. Yeah, Seattle's still getting revenge. He's on the wrong side of, yeah, jeez. Yeah. Yeah. And the funny thing about this as well is like you could make, you you couldn't make an adequate enough case, but you could still make a case for someone like a Rick Smith or even Rudy Gobert. Oh, yeah, I was going to mention. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, yeah, the Stifle Tower, yeah. Like the center positions are pretty locked down though when you look at it. That's the problem. There's so many international big guys. The Gasol brothers, Nikola Jokic, Divac. There's there's a lot of guys in there that you could make a case for. Yep. 
Sabonis and Kukoc, I think they're lucky to get in. Uh, I would probably have Schramm and Gasol, but it's, yeah, it's all. Yeah, and no, I think you I probably agree with you. It's it's an interesting little case study, and, and it would be interesting to come up with an all-African side and all, I don't know. But that's why, that's just do world. Why does it have to be Europe? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, good bit fun. Of fun. Yeah. So, Stewie, we wanted to, well, going back to Blokes Banter 3, we actually planned to talk about sporting events that we wish we'd seen live in person. So, so go on, fire away, and maybe I'll bounce off you and then I'll wrap up at the end. Fair, fair, fair. We'll do it that way. Look, I don't think the first one's going to be a real surprise to anyone that knows me or you, for that matter. I'd, I'd be surprised if this wasn't on your list, quite frankly. March the 2nd, 1962, Philadelphia Warriors versus the New York Knicks, the Wilt Chamberlain 100-point game. Well, it's not on my list because we intentionally made the rules ambiguous. I've only considered things that have happened in my lifetime. Ah, right. Okay. Well, there you go. I'd... Although now that I say that, I actually think one of them might have happened a couple of months before my birth. <laughs> so I might have screwed myself. There you go. Well, I think... but, but yes, obviously, yes. Going back to the beginning of time, Adam and Eve's first game of handball in the Garden of Eden. Mixed singles tennis. Yeah. <laughs> handball. <laughs> Handleball. You yeah, mean? well, you know. Yeah. Insert your own part. Yeah. <laughs> you had to use the word insert. Anyway, okay, yeah, go on. <laughs> Unintentional. Yes, this is actually the only one that is from before my time anyway. Okay. Yep. So, yep. yeah, look, how do you go past the single greatest and single most unbreakable record in the history of the game that you and I love. Some people think it's unbreakable. Some people, Bill Walton for a long time has said someone will break it one day, no. but it's hard to believe. It it's never, hard to think. It yeah. never happened. Yeah, it's hard to think it would happen. When you consider what actually went into him getting 100 points, it just wouldn't happen in today's game. Well, the fact that he could goaltend his own teammates at the time as well. Yeah, so, it, just, it just would not yeah, happen. Yeah, the rules have changed, yeah. Now... Part of the reason that I want to see this is not just because of obviously how amazing it is, but how few people actually were there that night. Now, this was a game that was being played in Hershey, Pennsylvania, instead of Philadelphia. Yeah, they used to have weird kind of road trips where they'd almost be like a sideshow and they'd play in all sorts of places. They would sell home games to other cities just to try and drum up interest in the team. And this is one of those games. So the official crowd was listed as 4,124. I'm not even sure it was that many. Yeah, I've seen several docos and things on this and, and people have said, oh, I've spoken to a million people that have claimed to have been at that yeah. game. It's like, it's like whenever there's these crazy games, people always, yeah. Yeah, they'll be like you and I. Oh, yeah, we, yeah I was there yeah, <laughs> 21 years before. Well, we're before. actually honest, I think. <laughs> we're like... but, and the other thing as well is that there were very few people actually covered. Like the, in terms of the New York journalists, there was no one there because the Major League Baseball Summer League was happening in Florida at the time, so they were all down in Florida right, watching right, that. Right. So you had basically a couple of journalists. That was it. And well, And there's a school of thought that said that he never actually scored 100 too. Well, I yeah, I, I didn't read that school. I think I think it's Dominic Foxworth, I think it is, brings it up every now and then on okay. first take and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there were a few issues, like the score that is listed, the official score I think was, I think it was 169 to 147, and there's people saying that it was 169 to 150 and right. there were claims. We've, we've always heard that the game finished 46 seconds from the end because when he scored 100, that was it. They stormed the court. Kind yeah, of but I've also heard other reports saying that they played the other 46 seconds and Chamberlain just stood in the middle of the court because he didn't want to score again. 
Because wow. okay. well, 102 doesn't sound as cool as 100. Yeah, but he could have got an assist. Yeah. Well, that sums him up as a player. Yeah. <laughs> kind of does. From all accounts, that kind of sums him up a bit. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's like it's the epitome of dominance. 25 rebounds just for fun. And that was probably a pretty off game for him in terms of the rebounds. The story is that the Knicks were missing their best big man. I've got that. You've got that information. Yeah, I I remember vaguely saying it. Yeah, yeah. So so the competition wasn't spectacular. The story of that is actually quite funny. Yeah, okay, go on. So just before I get to that, though, another reason why I think this would be so great to go to, a ton of other NBA legends there. You had Guy Rogers, who is 21st all-time in assists. He was absolutely amazing. He had 20 assists in this game. You had Paul Arizon, 10-time All-Star, member of the NBA at 25, 50, and 75 teams. Richard Guerin playing for the Knicks, six-time All-Star, averaged just shy of 30 points a game that season. Willie Knowles, four-time All-Star, 25 and 12 that season. He was a role player for three seasons with the Celtics as well, won some championships. But a lot of really top-quality players in there. And to see all of them and and still have Wilt be that much above all of them is, is insane. But yes, let's let's just talk quickly about this this story and what's crazy about it. So we'll start with Wilt. Now, the story is that he was actually out partying with a woman in New York until 6 a.m. basically from the night before. Yes, I remember seeing what was it, a 30 for 30 or something. Did you read about this or did you say, yeah, okay, yeah. I have yeah, these all these facts are ringing bells. And so he's boarded a train at eight o'clock in the morning, no sleep, hungover as anything, has a long lunch with friends, nearly misses the bus to Hershey. And funnily enough, the Knicks starting center, Phil Jordan, who you were just talking about, he was out sick, but apparently hungover. it was alleged he was yeah, hungover yeah, as well. Yeah. And he was actually a pretty good matchup for Chamberlain. He sort of held him, I think, to 33 the previous time that they played, which considering he had 100 in this game. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and when the team is scoring 150-odd, like, yeah. Yeah, you, you need... Guys are scoring a lot of points. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> There's actually a point during this game they had their usual backup center, a guy named Daryl Imhoff, who started. He was actually barking at the referees saying, well, why don't you just give the guy 100 now and we'll all go home? Yeah, right. And sure enough, <laughs> it's, yeah. Yeah, for what you wish for. Exactly. Yeah. It, it is one of the most insane things. Yeah, for a long time, the 31 points he had in the fourth quarter was a record. But this is the thing. Like, at halftime, Rogers was basically saying to all of his teammates, let's see how many the dip can get the big dipper as they, mm, they used to mm. call him let's see how many points we can get him so they were just force feeding him the ball he was getting triple teamed quadruple teamed new york started fouling anyone but chamberlain so that other guys had to shoot free throws yeah right right so then philly started doing the same back to them didn't and they was, have major foul trouble like i think they got pretty close for a couple, a yeah. couple of guys fouled out but yeah it was it was pretty bad that they actually started putting in all of the philadelphia reserves except for chamberlain so that they could use their fouls right right so yeah it, like it was a crazy spectacle and for that reason i, I just can't see why that would ever happen again Mr. well and again you he could goaltend his teammates so yeah. that were probably the easiest buckets he got catching shots out of the air before they started feeding him yeah. obviously because it would have got to a point when no one was shooting other than him. Yeah. But in the earlier stages of the game, if he's catching other blokes' shots out of the air and dunking him or putting him back or whatever, then yeah. yeah. And, and just the fact that how much bigger and stronger he was, that, like there's no one, certainly no one in our generation who is that much bigger and stronger than everyone else in the league, except maybe Bill Russell. Yeah. I mean, Shaq is maybe the last guy to have been that physically dominant, but even then. Even then. He, yeah. I mean, what, his career high is what, 61? 
not even close. Oh, yeah, no, I wasn't thinking in terms of score, but yeah, yeah in terms of physical prowess. That's yeah. what I'm saying. A guy that was that dominant. You, you think now guys that are that dominant would be guys like Giannis, guys like. Yes, yeah. You know, Freaks. Le- LeBron. LeBron's yeah. never had more than, what, 62, I think, or something like that. Giannis has a 50 piece. You know, there's, there's not guys that are going off for those numbers. Kobe's 81. He still needed probably 19 points. Yeah, probably, yeah. probably another eight or nine minutes of yeah, play. Yeah, yeah. So that would have had to have gone to double overtime just for him to even have a chance. So yeah, it's it's insane. So that that would be my first one. Now the second one on my list is the Roger Federer Rafa Nadal 2017 Australian Open final. This is probably outside of basketball. This is like the absolute top of the pile for me, Roger Federer. I am a huge fan of him. One of the classiest, seemingly most down to earth guys for someone who is that high a profile. But he'd been in a lull. Wimbledon 2012 was the last time before that he had won a Grand Slam, so four and a half years, and it looked like he was stuck on 17. Probably never going to get past him. He battled injuries. Guys had gone past him, guys like Andy Murray, Djokovic, Vavrinka, Nishikori. Nadal was still a, a little bit ahead of him as well. And a bit younger too. So. And, and a couple of years younger, which yeah. did help. Yep. And fittingly going into this Australian Open, he came in as the number 17 seed. While he's stuck on 17. Yeah, right, slams. right. Well, and funnily enough, he's some say he's stuck on a number at the moment, whatever it is. Well, he is. He's stuck yeah. on 20 now. Yeah. <laughs> but, but he has this fairly easy run to the fourth round, but he comes up against Nishikori, who I think was the five seed. Beats him in five sets. Really tough match. In the semis, he gets Vavrinka. Beats him in five sets. And you're thinking, all right, he's through to the final. Who's waiting for him? Nadal. It's like the worst case scenario because Rafa plays him so well. But like Nadal hadn't had an easy run. He came back from two sets to one down against Alex Sverev in the third round. Gregor Dimitrov took him right to the limits in the semifinal. So you thought, okay, he's a chance here. He's a little bit of a chance. But I remember watching this game thinking, if he doesn't win this in three, maybe four sets, it's going to be hard. Nadal's going to run over him. He's got that ridiculous engine, just keeps playing all day. And I remember at one all, there was this crucial game where Nadal had three break points on Federer's opening service game of the set. And Federer served his way out with aces every time. Held on, wins at 6-1. And you're thinking, all right, this is the moment. You're up two sets to one. You've got to go for it. And, of course, Nadal, you know, <laughs> he uh, yeah. finds an extra gear. He finds an extra gear, two sets all. And straight out of the gates as well, first game of the fifth set, Nadal breaks. And you're thinking, Jesus, like, it's all of a sudden, like, you're blinking. It's 3-1. And you're thinking, hmm. Can't see a way back for, for Rogers. It's just too far. And then he finds a gear that no one, probably not even him, knew that he had still. Breaks back, makes it three all. In Nadal's next service game, he breaks. And this was highlighted by a 26-shot rally. Federer hits this ridiculous, insane half volley down the line. And it's just there's, there's still drama. He's serving it out at 5-3. He goes down love 30. He goes down 15-40. And all of a sudden... He manages to slowly work his way back. He he hits a couple of clean winners. And then the moment, match point, Federer hits a cross court and it bounces on the line. And they're just about to call, oh my God, he's won it. And then Nadal puts his hand up and challenges. It's like that that 30 seconds felt like 10 minutes (laughs) just waiting. Uh, And then the look on Federer's face, just that look of, I did not believe that I was ever going to get back to this. So that to me, in terms of tennis, that is the moment. I've got a couple of honourable mentions for me for the tennis. So that crazy Wimbledon 
between Mahut and John Isner. John yeah. Isner, like, Seven. just for the fact that it was just ridiculous historically. Would you have gone to all three days, or would you have gone to? I, I would have. I would have considered if I'd been at day one. I would have kind of felt a bit commit, like depending on if you're only in London for a week or something. Yeah. But like, all things being equal. You'd be tempted to want to see the finish if you were there for yep. the start, I think. 70 to as crazy as it is. 70 68 in the fifth set. Though, yeah, right? 11, like, that's outrageous. 11 and a half hours. I think I know what your other honourable mention will be. Oh, yeah? Have a crack? I, I would have thought Rafter Ivanisevic in the window. Oh, okay. Five. No, I forgot no, about that. Like yeah, that. so I did watch that live after playing a basketball game, and, and that was just... That, that was tough for me because I loved Goran Ivanisevic, and obviously as an Aussie, like I wanted Rafter to win. You couldn't lose. You couldn't yeah, win. so I guess in that sense, yeah, yeah. No, I was going to talk about Jimmy Connor's crazy run at the US Open. Oh, okay. And look, I don't know, maybe the 30 for 30 documentaries made it more exciting than what it is, but I don't think so. Like, just the groundswell of support that he received in that improbable 1991 US Open. Now, unfortunately, he didn't win it. But some of those matches, like the Aaron Crickstein one, oh, it's a fascinating documentary. I'd recommend people watch it. That would have been a cool event to be to be involved in. Lynn Sanity is another one, actually. Now, at the time, I thought, okay, which, like... Which part of Lynn Sanity, though, like... Well, I don't know, like, just being able to go to the garden when... The, the Lakers game would have been the one to go to. Yeah, okay, I can't remember the specific games, but but just the, the, as a cultural kind of phenomenon. And I remember, I typically, it's always the way, but I remember I was the one being like, come on, guys, call your jets. There's no way he can sustain this. He is not Isaiah Thomas. Oh, glass, like, glass half empty. Name. Yeah, well, I, I like to consider myself a realist. realist yeah. yeah. So, so, but that being said, that would have been an amazing thing. Uh, funnily enough, another thing in New York. That would have been amazing yeah. too. Uh, not tennis, but that just came to mind. No, yeah. I think, I think the, the Lakers game would have been good because he, he dominated in that. But it's, it's funny, like the tennis, you made a point that really resonated with me in terms of talking about that run and, and just how many times there have been runs like that. So uh, Gustavo Curtin winning the, the French Open when it looked like he was past it. More recently, the Leila Fernandez and Emma Raducanu. Yes, won. yeah, yeah. yeah. Marcos Badgadis at the Australian Open one year had yes. a crazy run, I remember. Yeah, got all the way to the final. Leighton Hewitt winning Wimbledon as well. Yeah, like, yeah. Like there's so many of those those runs where you... Would have been great to see Ash Party win Wimbledon live. That would have been great. Yeah. yeah. Like, there's so many of those stories where you just think, wow, you know, like what a... Yeah, it would have been so great to be there and and just witness that. So yeah, it's it's interesting you said that. And then of course in infamy, would you want to be at the match where where Monica Sellers got stabbed, for example? No, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> no, but like, can you imagine no. if you were there? Like, yeah. it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, well, no, I wouldn't want to be there either. Like, but the, like, I know what you're saying. Though. Yeah, just the fact to to jag that match. I mean, well, they were two very very good players too. Steffi Graf was one of the greatest of all time. Yep. Yeah. yeah Sorry, was, stuff's just coming to no, mind. It's, it's, an <laughs> it's an interesting point. Imagine being in the front row yeah. and seeing that and being like, holy shit. You've like, seen that unfold, it'd be crazy. What, what do we do there? Yeah, yeah, that yeah. Was, yeah. Something else. Now, the third one for me is the 2000 US Open golf. June 15 to 18, 2000, Tiger Woods, or should I say, Eldrick Taunt Woods. Yeah, very good. As he is less commonly known, but hmm. more commonly known on his birth certificate. <laughs> There's never been a golfer like him in terms of, okay, there's been amazing players like him, but there's never been somebody who has drawn in such an audience 
Oh, it captured the imagination. Yeah, yeah. Probably yeah. Ruined. Mike Wilbon talks about it all the time. He, like how that opened up that sport to African Americans. Yeah. They just didn't even consider it an option before Tiger. It's it's ruined the television though, because obviously all they do is focus on him. But, yeah, right, right. But, yeah. You, but yeah, you're yeah, right. Sport media does that. Yeah, yeah, but it but it is great that it has opened it up. And you know, someone like a Tony Finau who is, I guess, now the the new guy in terms of the African American top quality player. It's great to see him now sort of taking the reins a little bit. But this US Open was insane. You know, you, and you look at Tiger back then, it was always about the Sunday charge, you know, the, the famous black pants, red long sleeve shirt. The he, signature, yeah. The, yeah. Yeah, the Sundays. <laughs> it, it was it was like a shark. You, you know, you would almost feel him coming up behind you. And so many players' games and their, their rounds would have been affected by that. The main like the Tiger Mania effectively, it was this thing. And so you go to the 2000 US Open and I don't really know that there has been a more dominant display over four days. So first round, yeah, he plays plays well. As a, a 65, he's six under par. He leads by a shot. Good way to start. Great way to start. And he was fortunate. He had an early tee off time. As it got later in the day, conditions got a lot harder. So scoring was a lot harder as well. But then you go into the second round and there are just horrible conditions again. Woods, one of only three players to break 70 that day. And so all of a sudden he's got a six shot lead going into the halfway mark, which is a, it's a big margin. Oh yeah. 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 It's a Very really, comfortable. Yeah. really big margin. And at that point you only actually had 17 players within 10 shots of him, which when you consider how big a field, the field yeah, like it's, yeah. it's crazy. So at that point already he's dominating. Ernie Els was the only guy who broke 70 in the third round. And that was another day with horrific weather. And so I think Els got out a little bit before it. But again, Woods, solid, leads by 10 strokes now. So he's he's just running away with it. That is the largest 54-hole lead in US Open history. Mm. And then he caps it off with a bogey-free 67, wins by a record 15 strokes, 12 under par, the only player under par for the whole tournament. The question is, Chewy, did he have hole-in-one insurance? He... <laughs> You know what? Uh, he wouldn't have needed it for that one, but yeah, he's probably had many a hole in one over his time. <laughs> if anyone needs it, well, he doesn't need it with his money. So yeah, look, phenomenal. Broke old Tom Morris's record from 1862 for the largest margin of victory. I love the old Tom Morris, young Tom Morris yeah. golf history. It's so crazy, isn't it? It is. Uh, it's yeah. There's a lot of crazy golf history. There really there. is. There really is. But there's other stuff. First player to finish a US Open double digits under par. The only guy to have ever even reached 10 under par in a US Open to that point was a guy named Gil Morgan in 1992. How much does he sound like a salesperson? He just reminds me of Gil from The Simpsons. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Come on, Gil, make the sale. <laughs> <laughs> he also tied the lowest score ever at a US Open, and the other three to do it, Jack Nicholas, Lee Jansen, and Jim Furyk, all did on courses with lower pars. So he had a better performance. And so just all up, you would not find a more dominant display of ball striking. It just it was a thing of beauty, and I would have loved to have been there for that. And as you say, in bad conditions as well. Yep. To to still dominate when everyone else is probably struggling. It's it's insane. And very impressive. And we did actually talk not too long ago about the famous incident there where he actually nearly ran out of golf balls at one stage. <laughs> was that a this week in sport history or something? Uh, might have been, yeah. Or, no, it was a, what caught my attention. Oh, yeah. But yeah, he's uh, he's basically ended up with one golf ball left and was told not to hit driver, but he hits driver again, hits one right down the middle. And if he'd found the water, he'd have been out of golf balls. 
Did you see the recent footage of Jalen Rose trying to play golf? That was disgraceful. It looked like Swiss cheese by the time he was done with yeah. like so many divots. It's I like I understand oh, it's not like there's a lot of people going, oh, it's not his sport. It's like it doesn't matter. Like to not be able to hit the well, ball. Well, it's it's all about keeping your eye on the ball. It's it's he lifted kept lifting his eye up too early. Yeah. If you keep your eye on the ball, you'll hit it. You will make contact. It's not your sport either, Nate. But I guarantee, if I gave you eight swings, you would hit the ball at least once. But I'll tell you what. I remember the first time I tried that. That was where I went wrong. Like whoever was helping me was like, "Dude, you're looking up too early. Yeah. Keep your eye on the ball. You will make connection." Sure enough, my next swing, eye on the ball connected and it wasn't even that bad you know what i mean there you go. so yeah yeah interesting mm. it's, it's yeah, yeah no, that, was that, was, oh, that was horrible yeah. <laughs> now the next one's probably a little bit of a surprise you know because I'm, I'm changing sports i want to have a different sport for each yeah yeah no, no surprise really now as an eagles fan it would seem fairly obvious and logical that i would choose either the 06 or the 2018 grand finals close games just a, yeah, a, a yeah. crazy drama around all 2018, the particularly the way it started, and it yes. did not start well. It was, it was horrible. Yeah. Well, yeah. We were all lamenting the fact that it was just a repeat of... Well, I remember at the party we were at, the, the only ones of us that said, you're not out of it, you're not out of it, were the non-Eagles fans. Yes. Oh, <laughs> you yeah, guys were doom and gloom. Like, this is just Hawthorne yeah, all over power again. of negative thinking. Yeah. Oh, well, it worked. Yeah. But for me, I actually wanted to go back to the 1992 grand final. Like a cork in the ocean. And that is a very, very big part of it, yes. <laughs> so, Although seeing it live, you wouldn't hear that commentary. This is true. This mm, is very true. But you'd see the highlight you, closer you, up. Yeah. And yeah. there's a little surprise as well in terms well, certainly for me, it was a big surprise in terms of who really bobbed up when we needed uh, a, a lot of, I guess, offensive firepower to steal a phrase from basketball. But, but yeah, the reason I, I've chosen this one is because this was the first time the Premiership Cup left Victoria. Mm. And so it was a really key point in the development of the league to a truly national league, paved the way for dominant non-Victorian sides like those late 90s Adelaide Crows, the Brisbane Lions of the early 2000s. And their three-peat was the start of a six-year straight window where it was all interstate teams. Mm. So you had those three, Port Adelaide wins, and then Sydney and West Coast exchanged. Yep. So it was, and obviously also the Eagles had already lost that granny in the late '80s to Hawthorne as 19, well. 1991. Oh, 91 was yeah, it? Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay, there you go. Back, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were primed. They were they, primed. They were. Yeah. This was my favorite West Coast team of all time, for the record, as well. I have to say that. Oh, it's just stacked. Peter Matera um, at his peak. What a player. What well, a player. Well, I mean, the the reason I've I've chosen this, and yes, Peter Matera. I mean, the team. Dean Kemp at his peak, like Wusha, Jackovic, McKenna, Brett Hedy, run through yeah, Chris Lewis. Yeah, yeah. And if you go back to the start of the season, it was probably something that makes this even, I suppose, even more memorable is the fact that a lot of people forget that after seven rounds, and keep in mind, they had an opening round bye. Do you remember those? No. So ridiculous. Opening round bye? Yeah. Eagles had, right. Eagles had a, there were half the league had, yeah, a, that's crazy. had a bye in the first round. It was ridiculous. So after seven rounds and six games, the Eagles had two wins and a draw and three losses. So they were struggling, yeah. really, really struggling. Yeah. But they win eight of their next nine. They finished the season with winning 13 of their last 16 and finished fourth. 15 wins, six draws and a loss. A little bit slow out of the blocks against Hawthorne at Subiaco in the elimination final, but they, they get the job done there. They handled Geelong comfortably in one of the prelims. And, and they weren't a bad Geelong team either. A very, very good side. And then... I guess the other thing that I, I love about this team is what kind of, I guess, started the game off. They were rugged. They were 
unflappable in terms of like it was just like them versus us and this was like the mick malthouse mantra which is ironic because he's victorian but <laughs> but uh if you look at the first couple of minutes gary ablett knocks don pike out cold hits him with an elbow as the ball's going to the boundary line he gets basically carted off on a stretcher and he's back on the ground 10 minutes later back when concussions didn't mean shit yeah different time definitely Tony Evans copped a bump from Ablett. Ah, oh, it's good old Tony. I forgot about him. Copped an elbow from Tim McGrath, just got back up. Chris Mainwaring broke his foot wow. and, and kept playing. Yeah, right. You know, about that. And then if you if you look at the scoreline, down four goals early in the second quarter, it's looking like it's Geelong's day. But this team basically says, you know what? We were wasteful in the first quarter. They were two goals six, should have been at worst four goals four. They were outplayed. They were outclassed by Geelong early on team lifted and the guy that lifted who was huge in this game was Tony Evans right okay he had two really really crucial goals this was only his second season he only played two games in the first season that he was in the league so he was basically a rookie and he comes in kicks two of his three goals in the second quarter kind of starts steadying the ship a little bit Peter Matera as he said was just out of this world oh, he was magnificent so he you know after that rips a ball out of the pack sidesteps a couple of guys slots one from 50 and all of a sudden, the momentum starts. And it was only a two-goal game at halftime. And then the third quarter, this is when it started really going our way. As you mentioned, the the Peter Wilson, like a cork in the ocean. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. <laughs> the den. Uh, uh, you, you know, you had, yeah, you had... Uh, Suma. Suma kicked a couple. Yeah. Matera, the, you know, the other famous line from that. Matera sets sail. And he, and he slots one for probably 55. And then Matera kicks another one. Ridiculous scoop up on the run, kicks it with the left from 45 out. And it's just everything's going well. And and you just sort of, yeah, just watching that team lift. Random Peter Matera knowledge. Do you remember he nearly defected to Melbourne at one point? No. Yeah. I don't actually remember that. In the mid-90s, he nearly pissed off to Melbourne. Wow. Yeah, the Ds. I remember, yeah, anyway. I wonder what we would have got back for him. I don't know, yeah. Well, he was starting to tail off a little yeah, bit. Absolutely. At that point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 94, 94, yeah. 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 It might have been around that time, actually. Yeah. And then, yeah, you, as I say, just guys were lifting all over the ground. You know, you had McIntosh and Jakovic down back. Just like, okay, Ablett and Brown was kicked three goals each, but they did a lot of that early. They held them for the rest of the game. They were just unstoppable, basically. I loved watching Glenn Jakovic play. He was such a good centre-half back. He was, so he was great. Yeah. You know, you mentioned Dean Camp, Brett Hetty, you know, those midfielders, they all lifted as well. Sumich and Matera combined for 11 goals in that game. 11. Like, Summer was awesome, but getting those five from Matera was... Oh, uh, huge. For a midfielder to kick five. It was massive. Yeah, yeah. Do you know the Eagles won that, that grand final with only four goal kickers? Wow. Yeah, right. <laughs> only, only four. Crazy. Yeah. So, like, Sumich had six, Matera had five, Evans had three... And I can't remember who kicked the other two. I can't remember who it was. Someone else kicked two anyway. And I had a look. And since 1989, no other team has won a grand final with less than seven goal kickers. Yeah, right. Well, it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah at all. Like yeah. you go way, way, way back when the grand finals were like 20 to 12. Right. Obviously, it would be. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's to win a grand final, you have to have seven to 10 goal kickers. Generally, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was, it was just an amazing game. And yeah, I, I think the thing that was funny for me about it was just looking at how the game was kind of almost a reversal of how it is now. Like the hand skills around the packs were exceptional. It was like they had friggin' sandpaper on their on their hands. And yeah, you know, and, and this was a muddy deck as well. Keep that in mind as well. It was a very muddy deck. 
but they dropped so many marks. That was it at Waverley? Or was it at the G? That one was actually at the G. Oh, okay, there you go. Yeah, but uh, yeah, just it was weird. Like so many dropped marks that you would expect guys to take nowadays. And but yet, as I say, like when guys were getting really slick hand passes delivered to them at their knees or below their knees, they were scooping them up like it was nothing. So yeah, it was it was insane. Holding the ball, deliberate out of bounds was a joke back then. But yeah, just, oh, it was just a different game in some ways. It yeah. really was, yeah. yeah. And yeah, just an amazing day. They did a, a bunch of flashovers to s- some pub in Perth somewhere where you had a big crowd. Of oh, yeah, okay, yeah, it was right. Great. I used to love when they did that. Yeah, stuff. yeah. Well, they still do, don't they? Well, not as not as well as they did back then. Uh, okay, uh, after every. I'm thinking job. of Deer Park in the NBA Finals, for example. Oh, yeah, okay. That, that, like, and Jurassic Park as well. Yeah, no, they didn't. They don't do that as well in the AFL though. As, yeah, okay. As they yeah. used to anyway. But yeah. So that's probably the fourth one for me. And the fifth one, a little bit. This of a... is your curveball. This is my curveball. I have two curveballs too. We've decided we've been going long enough now that we'll use mine next time. So we'll wrap up here. Go on. I think this is a good one though. Australia versus South Africa, the fifth ODI, 12th of March, 2006. Okay. Just before the World Cup. The 434 game. Oh, yeah. I've gone for a game we lost. Yeah, right. We watched this live at our friend's house. We did. The, un- Ugh, the, the Mick Lewis un- game. The unlosable. Ugh, gross. But, like, it's, it, it probably feels like an odd choice given that Australia lost, but how do you go past the highest scoring ODI of all time? Yeah, 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 no. I can see, I can see why you would... We've talked about records and, and things like that, so, yeah, yeah I can and, see and why it's top of the list. Look, we've been lucky. We've been to two World Cup finals where Australia have won. We've seen a lot of amazing games. Yeah, we've been to three separate... Well, we've been very lucky. We, we've been very fortunate, but... I mean, on this day, who would have thought it would have taken a world record to beat a world record? Yeah, well, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, these, these funny things do often happen, though, they don't do. they? Yeah. The, the, the crazier thing about this, though, is that this was the decider of a five-game series, and it was a great series. South Africa won the first two fairly comfortably. They bowled Australia out for 93 in Newlands, which Ouch. is, yeah, pretty nasty. Yeah, but, if I raise that from my memory. Yeah. With good reason. (laughs) But the Aussies clawed back. They leveled the series. It was a gutsy one-wicket win in the fourth match at Durban. And the scene is set up, the fifth and deciding game. And, yeah, nothing in anyone's mind could have really set the scene properly for the carnage that was about to happen at the Wanderers. And it just it shows how crazy this game was that I couldn't find a proper highlights package on YouTube that was less than 55 minutes. Yeah, right. Wow. Yeah. 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 Like I... Well, when there's combined more than 800 runs, that's a lot of boundaries. And, and I watched it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, no, go on. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I thought I had to... Quick little side note as well. It's worth noting that Australia was without Gwen McGrath for that match because that was when Jane McGrath's cancer was really um, starting right, to play up. Exactly. So he missed that. And South Africa were missing Sean Pollock, who was probably their best bowler. Oh, yeah, okay. Like for like. He, yeah. he had a if bat- not... Uh, pretty similar, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Close enough. So he had a back strain. And then you, so you're losing the best two bowlers from the match overall. It was an absolute road. The outfield was carpet. And I believe the uh, the phrase, great value for your shots. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> a number of times. And and yeah, I mean, like the, the very brief rundown for anyone who missed this. Mick Lewis fucked it up. Well, yes. That's, that's the really brief that's, rundown. That's the, uh, I believe it's called a TLDR now. <laughs> so the too long didn't read. <laughs> Is is that basically Mick Lewis? Yeah, we'll we'll talk about him in a minute actually because I've got a couple of things about that. So Australia wins the toss. They decide they're going to have a bat, and it it starts off really well. Gilchrist and Simon Cadditch make ninety seven for the first wicket. 
Still only going in a run a ball for the first 19 overs, though. Which yeah. Is, which well, I did not... Well, in one day, that's you lay your foundation. You, you do. But when and you, if you haven't lost many wickets, you can go real hard at the end. But when you're going... You, you finish it more than eight and over yeah, for yeah. the whole thing. Like, that's yeah. a... It's a big thing. Yeah, they put their foot down. Well, Ponting went ballistic. Yes, I remember that. His 250th match for Australia as well. No less. His highest score ever in ODIs? It was. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, I remember that. I do remember that knock, yeah. His fastest ever century as well, 164 off 105, 13 fours, nine sixes. Really good support from Michael Hussey as well, 81 off 51. He people was, forget how good Huss was. Oh, and, and people incorrectly compare him to Michael Bevan as an accumulator too. Like, Huss had gears. Yeah. When Huss needed to smack it, he could... Oh, I wish we got to see more of us, yeah, to be honest. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Andrew Simons, the, the late great man. May he rest in peace. Twenty seven. Lovely in memoriam, I guess. They let his children be the drinks runners today at oh, the one day nice. versus Zimbabwe up in Townsville. That's nice. So that was a nice touch. Yeah. yeah. Nice. I just say it because it happened to happen today. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, he had a little cameo at the end, 27 off 13. Very handy player. And it is worth noting that at the time the record score for an innings was Sri Lanka's five for three ninety-eight against Kenya from ten years earlier. Against a minnow, yeah. yeah. Australia, four for 434. Absolutely obliterated that. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was insane. Like, 82 runs off the last six overs. In fact, Roger Telemachus in the 48th over had conceded 19 runs before he even bowled a delivery. Yikes. Four no balls. Wow. So, yeah, not amazing. I was just to find him a bit underrated. Yeah, handy placement. It was. He was very, very handy. Yeah. So, so, but one of the best things about this, so you, you can imagine you're part of the South African team, you walk off after that, you're probably shell-shocked, yeah? Well, you'd, you'd be thinking we need our best to win this one. Jacques Callis came into the dressing room and said, come on, guys, it's a 450 wicket, they're 15 short. Wow. What, wow. A, what, a, what a great line. Yeah, yeah. What a great line. If only they could perform in World Cup finals and well, finals. <laughs> you know. <laughs> But this, this is right at the heart of the Chokers sort of thing as well. So, well, just prior to a World Cup, of course, the first one we went to. And so this, yeah, yeah. Well, this is true. So this yeah. kind of helped them a little bit with with that, but obviously it didn't help in 2007. Not in the but, yeah, yeah. And so they come in here and you think, right, from ball one, they've got to go for it. Boda Dipinar, who was coming off a ton in the fourth game, gets bowled for one. And you're thinking, oh, God, here we go. But Graham Smith and Herschel Gibbs, man, they played... Oh. Two of the absolute greats of South African cricket. Yeah, they, they just played one of the most ridiculously good partnerships. 187 in about 21 overs. Yeah, right. Which, when you consider how early in the innings it was as well. Oh, they could take games away from teams, those two blokes. They, they could. And they just, they played it perfectly. Like, one ball and over they went after. They just knew if we get one four and over. You get value for your shots. You get value for your shots, exactly. <laughs> you might pick up a, a lucky second as well if, if, if you're lucky. Well, you hit the bad balls. You do. Yeah, yeah. And so... Gibbs falls finally at the 32nd over. They need 136, but it still took a little bit of a cameo. 35 off 18 from Johan van der Vaart. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's a, it's a very Dutch sounding name, that one anyway. And Mark Boucher had this beautiful half century, punctuates it with a, a beautiful straight drive to win the game. And the, the thing is, it was one of those games where as an Aussie, we, you can look back on it now and say, like, I'm glad that happened. It was good for world cricket. Like the Ben Stokes test. Yeah. It still hurts, but at the same There's time... There's been a lot of the anniversary stuff on Twitter of recently. Course, yeah, yeah. yeah. They've got, they've got if a... only the fucking umpire had called that LB properly. Well... If only we could handle our reviews properly. This is it. Yeah. But I think at the same time... And it's it's almost like the um, that test at Headingley in 2005 where 
Oh, the Jason Gillespie. The, the, glo- the, glove, the glove that wasn't actually probably out. It's still- well, no, it definitely wasn't out because he didn't have his hand on the bat. Well, yes, it wasn't out. Technically, it wasn't out because you have to have your hand on the bat. But still, yeah. like that stuff is good for the world of cricket. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, they're, they're these crazy stories, aren't they? They really are. Now, we talked about Mick Lewis just quickly. We've got to talk about this. Well, the- we, we had conspiracy theory watch on this one. Oh, 100%. The fact they bowled him out when he was getting dispatched all over the ground... From memory, he hadn't played much, like first series or something. Might have been, yeah. He, he didn't. Oh, he was on the fringe. Well, McGrath was missing, as you say, yes. so he wasn't a walk-up starter by any stretch of the imagination. But he, he had bowled previously. In fact, he bowled fairly well in the rest of the series. I think he had three for twenty-eight. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I want to say it was his first series. I might be way off there, but wow. yeah, he didn't last long anyway. But what was crazy about it was they still had four overs of Stuart Clark available. They still had a couple of overs of Brett Lee. They still had a couple of overs of Michael Clark, who was bowling fairly well. And Shuey Clark was a pretty decent McGrath clone. Like, yep. like not express pace, but the line and length stuff was really good. And it, he could he could keep runs down. Well, yeah, and this was the conspiracy. Our, our, when we were watching the match, given what you're saying with the guys that had overs in hand, we were like, Punter doesn't want to play with Mick Lewis anymore. Yep. He's prepared to concede this match. In order, either he's a really shitty captain and he's made some really bad tactical errors, notwithstanding his amazing knock, because we don't get there without the knock. True. But yeah, either he's made a really poor decision or he wants Mick Lewis to never play again. And I don't think he did, did he? Yeah. No. Yeah. And, and there were comments. I actually went back on ESPN Creek Info and had a look at some of the comments when they put him into bowl at certain times. And they were like, what the hell? What's going on here? This means that Brett Lee won't, won't be bowled out. Yeah. I don't understand this. Yeah. So yeah, it looks suspicious. None for 113 off 10 overs, the most runs conceded by a bowler in ODI history. Became the first man in 50 over match history to concede 100 runs in his 10 overs. It is worth noting, though, a couple of things. It was Victorian. Well, yeah. <laughs> okay, not, not so much that, but... Bill Murray would love it. 26.5 overs in. Herschel Gibbs hits an absolute dolly off Mick Lewis, straight to Nathan Bracken, who puts it down. no. Gibbs was on 130 at the time. So it cost them, what, an extra 45 runs? And momentum. And momentum. Yeah, yep. And then Gibbs takes 18 off Lewis's next over, and then Vandervath helped the Saffers get 16 off the next. Happens so often. It, it you get does. punished for bad fielding, yeah. You do. And it was almost a reverse because you think about, you know, Gibbs dropping the World Cup. Yeah, yeah, yep. It was almost a reverse of that. Yeah, so interesting. so that's, that's a really key moment that a lot of people forget is that Okay, Lewis was dispatched everywhere, but he should have had Gibbs. Yeah, okay. And and that makes things very, very different. On top of that as well, it's not actually the worst economy rate for somebody in that sort of stratosphere. Rashid Khan actually took none for 110 off nine overs Ooh. against England in 2019. So And he's no slouch. He's no slouch. Yeah, but England yeah. were on that day. Yeah. So yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff. I mean, it was an incredible day of cricket, not just not just innings or or whatever like the whole thing was insane it swung back and forth the records i mean australia racked up the the most amazing score ever and the record gets broken three yeah, hours later exactly they held it for a few hours yeah. and then sri lanka breaks it against the netherlands four months later and it's been bettered five times since then england i forgot they made 498 against the netherlands which is, yeah, I mean, the boundary... Yeah, when you're playing minnow teams as well. And though, the boundaries in yeah, this place yeah, yeah. In, in Amsterdam looked about 30 metres. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's hard, yeah. It still stands as the greatest run chase of all time. The combined 872 runs still sits 47 clear of the next best combined aggregate score, basically. Mm. 
26 sixes was a record for that time. It's been beaten. India, New Zealand hit 31, and 89 fours is still a record as there well. So, oh, it'll be a spectacle. No, it's a good, it's a good little curveball there. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, I thought, you know, it's easy to go for. Oh, I wanted this team to win. Let's talk about the, you know, something that we didn't go to, like the, I don't know, the final after the, the botched run out, or the, I shouldn't say the botched run out, the run out of Alan Donald. So. Yeah. I just thought, yeah, why not look at something yeah, like no, that? Yeah, like, no, I have curveballs too, mm-hmm. but because we've gone long enough, we'll save them. So oh, I have some surprises up my sleeve too. I don't know when we'll record and release it, but uh, yeah, no, great uh, list, Joey. You're going to talk about Simone Biles. <laughs> well, actually, well, I'll tell you what, actually, Nadia accommodates you. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Way better. Yeah. You, you, you have that, don't you? No, I don't. I don't. No, okay, fair <laughs> enough. I don't like gymnastics that much. All right, Joey, you know what that music means. Final thoughts time. Well, I feel a little bit selfish. It's it kind of all about me in this. No, well, but it's good. It's good that we went too long in a sense because it means that I can give a better list. So, so I can really beef it out now. So I'm looking forward to hearing about. Yeah, your, I've your, got that. Yeah, I think your, your, your list of gymnastics. It will be interesting to see. What, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. We might have to record it soon. Now that now that I've you're excited, I've I love it. This yeah, is yeah, like, yeah. But yeah. No, look, always good looking back at these things. Always good having a bit of a banter. Good times. And if you have events, send them through to us. Until next time, I'm Nate. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes.